This is the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Walensky. We're talking about books, about theater, about film, and sometimes about politics. Most of these interviews were originally conducted for KPFA's Bookwaves program and its predecessor, Probabilities. Yi Yun Lee is an award-winning author of novels and short stories. Born in China in 1972, she earned a BA at Peking University before coming to the United States and getting a degree in immunology from the University of Iowa. She eventually moved on to a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Fiction and Nonfiction from the University of Iowa Writers' Workshop. Her stories have appeared in The New Yorker, The Paris Review, and elsewhere, and two of her stories from her collection, A Thousand Years of Good Prayers, were adapted into films by Wayne Wang. She has also written five novels, the most recent, The Book of Goose, in 2022. I've had the opportunity to interview Yi Yung Lee twice, the first for her novel, The Vagrants, and the second for her second novel, Kinder Than Solitude. This interview for The Vagrants was recorded in the KPFA studio on February 10th, 2009. You were born in China in 1972? Yes. Did you live in Beijing the whole I, time? Yeah, I grew up in Beijing. I uh, lived you know, away from Beijing for a year in the army. Were your parents uh, special in the in the Chinese government, or were they teachers, or what? My mother was a school teacher. You know, they were both retired. They're both retired now. But my mother was a school teacher, and my father used to work for the nuclear research industry or research core for this nuclear industry. <laughs> Growing up, you were not familiar with the outside world. How much in the seventies. How much of the outside world actually penetrated normal uh, girl growing up in Beijing? You know, I did grow up in this big compound, which was an institute. You know, every family had parents working for the institute. But we did go out. We would take bus to go to other places, and then we would visit friends. So I got to see Beijing in different ways, you know, in those compounds or in alleyways. The political life that we see in this town of Muddy River in the vagrants, was that the political life that you saw? Did people kind of avoid politics? How did that work? The novel was set in 1979, so at the time I was still young. But I did see things or feel things or hear things. And even within our compound, we still felt that. For instance, my grandfather used to be in the Nationalist Army, so he fought against a communist army in the Civil War. And even in our compound, whenever my father went on to the business tour, they cut business tours like a nuclear test, and people would come and knock on our door and ask a question about my grandfather. So those things, you know, were very present to us. Growing up, did you just like everybody did, buy into whatever you were told? Did you question it at all? I did not question. I I really bought into what I was told. I remember I was seven, so first grade, you know, going to second grade. And I really felt my life was in a honey jar, (laughs) in a way. I was very happy about my life because that's what we were taught in school, that we live in a honey jar. And you didn't see much of the peasants that frequent your book. When we grew up, because we are we were in this nuclear industry, you know, instituted the next to our compounds were all peasants. Now it's Beijing, it's big city Beijing, but it used to be all peasants. I understand that mm. uh, you began to question 
What was going on around the time of Tiananmen Square, is that right? That was, yeah, about right, yes. That was when, you know, you started to think about these things. But even before that, I would say, you know, when I was 10 or 11, things, I mean, China started to open, and you realize, well, other countries were not that miserable. <laughs> I was nine when I first saw, you know, foreigners in Beijing for a friendship hotel, and I saw a kid riding a bicycle with training wheels. That, to me, was... All of a sudden, I thought, well, that kid was so happy. <laughs> I had never seen training wheels before. When were you in the Army? I was in the Army in 1991. So that, that was after Tiananmen Square? That was after Tiananmen Square, after I graduated from high school. Did you have to go in, or did you volunteer? No. I went to Beijing University, Peking University, for college. And because the college was really active in Tiananmen Square protests, so we, for four years, entering class of that college was sent to the Army. Uh, I understand during the period when you were in the army, uh, you would slip away and read English novels. Is that right? That's right. Not only I did that, a lot of my fellow students did that. How did you get the books? I brought a lot of books from Beijing, traveling from Beijing to the army camp. And then my sister kept, you know, every month she would send a package. There were English language books, so English vocabulary books. And also I read tons of Ernest Hemingway and Jack London, Thomas Hardy and Dietrich Lawrence. Well, when you were reading these books, I mean, these books were describing a life very different than the one you had in Beijing. Mm -hmm. I think that was an escape in a way. I remember it was very funny because all my classmates read the original Gone with the Wind in the army. That was just, you know, circulated among the girls and it was an escape in a way. When you were very young, you witnessed denunciations and executions in a way that appear in the vagrants? Right. I wouldn't say executions because I didn't see the exact executions, but those were the, uh, the ceremonies before the prisoners were executed. They were paraded from neighborhood to neighborhood. So, so we would be paraded there to see the people. And I was in daycare. I did write that into the book. <laughs> so you, I, you would know, uh, you were too young to have an opinion about what you were oh, seeing. I, I did not have any opinion. I just had like memories about people and policemen in white uniform. After you got out, uh, you decided to come to the U.S. to the University of Iowa to study immunology, right? Yes, that's right. And once you got here, at what point did you kind of go, wait a second, I'm a writer? Well, it took me forever to realize that, but I did. The second year I was in the States, I took a writing class, and I had a lot of fun with that. I thought, wow, I never thought writing was so much fun. So I started to write a little Around 2000, I thought I would not want to pursue my immunology career. I wanted to become a writer. And you wound up going to the Iowa workshop, is that right? Yes, Iowa Writers Workshop. Who did you study with there? James Ellen McPherson, who was the first African-American writer to win a Pulitzer Prize in fiction, and Marilyn Robinson. They both are, you know, of big influences on my writing. And other writers, Elizabeth McCracken was a writer I studied with like, several times. How did you get an agent? I sent a story to the Paris View before I signed up with my agent and also other magazines. So for that three months period, I got accepted for a few magazines. And meanwhile, I just met my agent who went through Iowa to see young writers. So I just emailed him. You've said in interviews that writing in English frees you, that you don't censor yourself. 
But would any fear that the Chinese government might respond to you or take some kind of action against your family if you wrote something that was too critical? I'm sure there are fears, but I don't want to think about them because once you start thinking about these things, you become panicking, panicking, and and then you stop writing. <laughs> so I just shield all these things and I just focus on writing and, you know. Now we come to the vagrants. Uh, apparently... Your short stories was sufficiently well-received so that your uh, publisher gave you a two-book contract, which Mm -hmm. means that you began tackling the novel because you already had a contract. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But even before I signed a contract, I actually had had an idea of the novel for The Vagrant. I had 15 pages of manuscript before I even finished the other book. Yeon Lee. What brought you to write a story about 1979 China? Right. 1979, you know, to me, they're, like historically, it was the year that when China started to develop economy and started to open the country to the Western world. So in a way, China becomes China what we know today because of 1979. So it was a very important historical year. And also just personally, you know, 1979 was, I was six, seven, and I started to have a lot of memories about the time, about the people, you know, watching people being executed or being paraded to execution. There were a lot of puzzlements there that I did not know that when I was young, I couldn't figure out. So I, I think I wrote a novel to figure out a few things myself. You wrote that at one point, one question you had was what would cause a mother to give up her child? Yes, this is, you know, a very central character who had a good life, you know, had a good status and had a had a young child. The culture of being a martyr, because she, you know, as in the novel you would see, she was an actress and she performed martyrs all along for 10 years. But how did that culture, you know, influence someone's thinking? I was just very puzzled because, you know, I'm a young mother. It's very hard for me to imagine, you know, a young mother giving up a child for something higher, you know, some higher calling. So so I really wrote that, figure out why. Do you think she, you did? You know, with her, I'm, I'm not <laughs> totally sure. I think I got some sense of why she did that because, you know, her life was always about somebody else. And in the end, when she sacrificed everything, she was about herself and she was gaining her, in, you know, that individuality. But that's a very tough character to write. The town of Muddy River. Muddy River. That's not a real town, right? It was a fictional town, but I based that town on my husband's hometown. Which is? Which used to be called Muddy River. And it's very funny. In 1994, I think the government thought Muddy River was a bad name for a town, so they changed the name. So not, there's no Muddy River now. What is uh, Muddy in, River in Chinese? Uh, it's Hunjiang. And what is it now? It's White Mountain. It's a Baishan. It's a White Mountain. <laughs> it's a very beautiful name. <laughs> and where is it located? The town, I envision it, it's located in the northeast of China, so close to the border of uh, North Korea and China. And how big is that town? The town is not very big. You know, if it's, it's, a, it's in a shape, you know, a longish ship. So if you walk from one end to the, to the other end, it would take two hours on foot. But if you walk the shorter end, so it's half an hour. So it's a small town. Well, a lot of the characters run into each other, and someone called it Dickensian. <laughs> but in a small town, I'm not sure if it really is Dickensian, because you would run into people all the time. You would. You know, it's very interesting because 
in the novel, there were about eighty thousand people, which was a small town, and you could run into people all the time. Yeah, and the Dickinson is funny because. Another editor said, "Well, you know, the novel is like a German fairy tale with this black forest and all the characters wandering in and out of this evil forest." And I thought, "Oh, my son goes to a preschool, and his classmates, grandfather and my father, came from the same town in China, which、wow. was a very small town." You mentioned before about this woman Kai and what she would do to put herself in a position where she might abandon her son, but I noticed that many of the parents of the peasants. In particular, don't really care about their kids at all. Nina's parents don't care. The parents of Tong don't care. They sent them away. It seemed to me that children are viewed more as burdens than anything else. I think in traditional Chinese culture, children are more of your possessions. Nini, because she's deformed, and because you know she has all these sisters, younger sisters, so her parents did not pay much attention. Of course, you know had not not much love to share to to spare for her. And Tang's mother really did love him in a way that she still had to send him away because she needed to bring up the other two children. Traditionally, it's very common for parents to send their children to grandparents. So, for the grandparents to bring up the children till they're six, seven, and、so、then they send them back. Yes. Yiyun Li. The vagrants consists of several characters, each of them interacting with the、mm-hmm. others. And I'm curious about why. We know why you chose the character of Kai.、Mm-hmm. Why did you choose the character of Teacher Gu? I mean, he's the father of. The girl who's executed, which starts the、uh, story in motion. Right, right, right. I think you know, there were the older generation of chi- Chinese intellectuals, and they almost, if you read back what they have written, you know, in the past fifty years, they foresaw a lot of things. But why did they still let things happen? That's my question. And and Teacher Gu was, a, you know, very much, you know, he actually saw through a lot of things. You know, he kind of just went into that fatalistic thinking. I wanted to explore why that generation of intellectuals behave that way. Well, it, it strikes me that everybody kind of just watches things going on around them, and if they try to influence, they get stomped down. It's like the only thing to do is to. Keep your head down to survive. That's exactly that's that's a, that's a, like a common wisdom. You know, if you if you are the beautiful most beautiful tree in the forest, you know the wind will destroy you. <laughs> <laughs> so don't you know stick your head out. There's a great deal of poverty in Muddy River where people can't get food. That was a common occurrence in '79 China, and has it changed today? I mean, '79, I would say yes. In a small town like that, yes. China has changed a lot. I think that level of poverty probably is, is still around, but you would only find it in a rural area, a very rural area. A number of the characters live in homes with brick beds, which I've never heard of. What's a brick bed? A brick bed. It's only in northern China, so it's actually more than a bed. Say it's a huge bed with underneath with tunnels built in, and there was a wood stove. So you were heating the whole bed, and you eat on the bed with a bed table. You eat on the bed. You do your homework on the bed. So it's really just the center of your family life. And it's basically this giant hearth in the middle of the room. Yes, and then you know, at night when you sleep, you put mattress and everything onto that big bed. <laughs> you also have a character named Bashi, who、yes. is 19 years old and has a, th- a thing for a while for Nina. He was 12.、Mm-hmm. 
I was thinking, without judging, if people do get married at 12, mm-hmm. if that's common in traditional societies, in fact, he's fairly normal. By then, youngers did not get married at 12, but, you know, 16, 17 probably. But the thing with him is, you know, you have to look at the time. I was thinking, because I was observing my children who were, you know, I mean, my boys are seven and four, and they would read a book about human bodies, and they would look at you know different parts of body, and they would understand how body functions. But there's not, there was not a lot of information to him. For a while, the only thing he really wanted to know, he was so curious about a woman's body, but he did not have an access to any sort of information. So I wouldn't call him a pedophile, and I think he functioned on wrong rules or you know he had his own set of rules he acted out of his own you know logic which was actually illogic but in the end he also had this capacity to love he really fell in love with nini did you see that pedophile element when you were writing the book or it's something that people pointed out to you i did not see that i started writing about this young man looking for a baby girl because he really wanted to bring out a baby girl that's how i started writing about him and the more I wrote about him, the more I realized he was really a complex character. And, and until, you know, a reader said, oh, you know, he's a very sympathetic pedophile. And I thought, gosh, no, he's not a pedophile. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, some have said, I think it was uh, uh, Michiku Kikutani in the Times or, made the comment that the vagrants were actually Mr. and Mrs. Hua. 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 Yeah. Because they went from town to town. And my thought was... Well, that may well be, and these characters are, in a sense, the the conscience mm-hmm. of the book, without question, right. this, uh, this older couple. But it seemed to me, on some level, everybody in the book is a vagrant. They're all they all are homeless. That's exactly why I finally titled the book "The Vagrants," because I thought you know nobody could run away from that fate of being a vagrant in the book. Eun Lee, in writing this book, obviously you've done a lot of work with uh, with these authors in Iowa. In terms of comparing it to working on your short stories, Mm -hmm. what did you learn in the process, do you think, about writing a full-length novel? I learned a lot about revision, because when I write stories, I I mean, I do revise stories, but when you write revised stories, you're just, you know, refitting the piece of puzzles, which is different from revising a novel. I end up, you know, when I revise the novel, I end up rewriting half of the novel. (laughs) Also, just Structure-wise, you know, when you have a story, you can just follow the flow of the story. But with a novel, full-length novel, you really have to think about that. You know, talking about symphony, you really have to have that control of different things. How do you know, before you've gotten it instinctive, how do you know how long to make a scene when you've got essentially a cast of 15 or 20 characters? Right, right. You know, somebody's, you know, writing a novel is like driving in the dark. Your headlight, you can see where your headlight points to, but and you also know your destination, but you don't know how to get there, which is really true. So when I started the novel, I knew the novel structure would be, you know, three major events, and the two executions would be the bookends of the novel. So, and then I, I would just look at each day and see each character, what he or she did on that day. First draft was much longer, or like 400 or 500 pages. You were just looking at different characters. And then when you revise, you try to integrate their lives a little. And voice. The Iowa folks focus very strongly on voice. And yes. this was something that you had to deal with 
creating the voice of each individual character. Some characters are easier to do. For instance, Bashi is really, I mean, he talks all the time and he thinks in really wrong logics, but he is so fluent in his logic. And you get into his logic, it's very easy to predict what he will say, what he will do. So his voice comes really easy. Teacher Gu, who's the father of the executed woman, his voice is easy too, I think, because he's that generation of you know, traditional Chinese intellectuals that I knew very well. You know, and then in between, you just try to think about every character. You know, when a child talks, it has to be different from, like, a 50-year-old man. How planned out was the, the story? You just knew that it was bookended by... By two executions. By the two executions, and somewhere in the middle would come the story of the democracy wall? Right. I mean, the democracy war was more like a historical, you know, background. I knew also there were different threads. For instance, Bashi and Nini, they actually became my, you know, love story. There is the thread of love story. And Kai, who was the central character in the in the protest, and her thread was just how she turned from one side to the other. And you look at, and then teacher Gu and his wife, how they dealt with, you know, losing a daughter. Growing up, and even now when, you're, when you go back mm-hmm. or when you talk to your family, how aware are people of totalitarianism and how many of them really want to be free or how many even think in those terms of being free? If you ask me when I grew up, was I aware? No, I was not. I thought it was a normal life because you grew up in that. And, and the thing is when you have a distance, you look at certain things you realize that was not right or there was something wrong with that. And also it depends on the historical, you know, moments you look. In very, you know, unusual situations, people were pressured. You know, like in the book, there was a political event and people felt more pressured. They were much more cautious and they did not want to, you know, trust anyone. But in general, you know, in daily life people just felt I mean people just lived their lives. At the same time they have to be careful because there's um, a holiday. What is it, Qinming? It's a Qinming, yeah. Yeah, which is, involves ancestors, and the communist government was against that. I took that a little bit from a historical event. In Beijing in 1976, there was a huge protest on the day of Qinming, you know, against Madame Mao and her against of law. And a lot of people died on that day. Now it is an official holiday. And the story of the people who protested and signed their names to a petition, if I were in that position, I wouldn't have signed. I would have stayed away because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, but there are people always, you know, this is very interesting. People are always hopeful and always hoping for the better things. And when you see your next door neighbor signs, you think, you know, maybe it's all right. Maybe we're doing the right thing. (laughs) And there was at that particular time a a crackdown because of uh, the wall. There was the crackdown in Beijing, yes, yes. I, I did not quite want to write about Beijing because it's, a, you know, I don't, I'm not interested in the center of action. I'm interested in, in the ripples of, you know, these center action to the provincial towns. That's kind of my position as a writer, you know, just to look at people on the margin. Why? They have more interesting stories to tell to me, I feel. If you look at a really, really central, you know, character, they, in the end, they become they become legends and martyrs, and they become heroes, and they're just black and white good person, good people, and I'm not interested in that black and white goodness. 
Ian Lee, growing up, did you know people who were actively involved in the Cultural Revolution? Almost everybody from then, I think, was somehow involved in the Cultural Revolution. Did you know someone who uh, was violent about it, like Shan, the character who later turned and wound up executed? Right. I did not know a person like that, but I grew up with this young girl in the, in the next building. She was deformed. She, she's like Nini in the book. She's a year younger than me. And it turned out that her mother, when her mother was pregnant with her, the mother's ex-husband somehow just for some reason got a group of you know young red guards to kick the woman and got a baby deformed. Whoever kicked her was still living in a compound with us, and the ex-husband got away with, you know, no, nothing happened to him. He still, you know, lived happily with his second wife. When you first came to the United States and looked around, what did you see, and how did you compare it to what you thought you'd see? My sister let me watch Baywatch before I came so that I could know what Americans were like. Of course, you know, Americans don't like look like people on Baywatch. <laughs> Do you see yourself writing about the United States, taking a chance? I mean, Ha Jin, for instance, wrote about China, and then mm -hmm. he decided to write about the United States in his most recent novel. You know, Ha Jin's latest novel is an immigrant novel, and I haven't really thought a lot about writing immigrant stories. I think it's possible to write about Americans. The thing is, I think I need to accumulate enough memories about this country as I had memories about, you know, 1979 work. So if my memories are enough that I have a texture of this life, then I think I will feel more confident and comfortable writing about America. What about writing about your time in the Army? I wrote a story about it, but I wasn't really interested in that because I'm not very interested in my own experience. So that experience would be too close to my experience. So I try to stay away from that. Yi Yun Li, now that you've written a novel after writing several short stories and you're beginning to develop a feel for the forms, mm -hmm. how do you feel about the two forms? I would love to continue working in both forms because they really offer different things. You know, with stories, you get a glance of people's lives. You get a sliver of people's lives. And it's very satisfying to be able to write in 20 pages. Meanwhile, you know, I don't think story has that, you know, expansiveness that a novel can provide. And I have to go back to novel too for that experience. And writing in English, do you think in English now? I don't think in English in everyday life. If I'm thinking I'm going to grocery shopping, I probably am thinking in Chinese. But when I think about characters and stories, they come in English. In terms of subtlety and nuance, how do you ensure that, that you're getting in the right direction, or is it something you just kind of put out of your mind? Well, I'm still working on that. <laughs> <laughs> and I realize I, it's, it's, a, it's going to be a long battle, because if you did not grow up with a language, there's certain intimacy with the language I just don't have. I guess my goal is just to get as close as I can but it would never be as intimate as, say, you know, a native speaker. Why do you think, then, that you feel freer if the grasp of the intimacy isn't as great as in Chinese? Intimacy is only one thing about writing. I think the other thing is just about how you say things. When I write, in, I used to keep a Chinese journal, you know, when I was young. Because I was so afraid my mother would, I mean, I'm sure my mother read them. <laughs> I was so afraid my mother would read them. So I would keep the language really, really vague and very metaphorical and very flourish. In the end, they were just empty words to me. 
they were not good words for storytelling. So I think I did not have that in English, which is good for me. I have this language that I can just tell a story straightforwardly. What I've noticed in uh, reading books by people who use English as a second language is that the syntax is just a little bit different, which kind of gives it a uniqueness. Right. I, I, you know, I, for instance, Alexandra Heeman is one very good example. I remember right. in his first book, he would talk about the sunset in the way that no American writer would, would describe that way. The language was off, but just strikingly beautiful. And I think that's good. That's what we bring to, you know, English language. Speaking of uh, Sasha Heeman, who else do you uh, read now these days? John McGahan, who's Irish writer. And William Trevor, I read William Trevor all the time. I'm reading a lot of Graham Greene. I think I, the whole time I was revising The Vagrants, I was reading Greene just to get his control. He controls everything like a very cold-heartedly. I admire him very much, so I think I try to do what he does with the characters. Well, Yi Yun Lee, uh, now the vagrants have come out. You're working on another novel? I think I'm going to start a novel in the spring. I haven't started yet. I, I'm wrapping up a collection of stories for my publisher. And that will come out next year? Hopefully. I haven't talked to my <laughs> publisher yet, but I'm, hopefully, yeah. You've been listening to an archive interview with acclaimed novelist and short story writer Yi Yun Lee, recorded in the KPFA studios on February 10th, 2009, while she was making the rounds for her first novel, The Vagrants. Feedback on this and other Radio Walensky podcasts is appreciated. You can write to bookwaves at hotmail.com and feel free to search out other interviews at bookwaves.com or on the kpfa.org website. Until next time, I'm Richard Walensky on the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast.